Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Nothing ever goes exactly like you think it's going to when you're planning it out, right? Um, Caleb, Caleb actually agreed to do that a week or two ago and got stage fright, so Josiah jumped in there. But the response was exactly as I expected, in that there's a room full of people with smiling faces and laughter and cheering. So just a quick bowl. Raise your hand if you're laughing and smiling because an adorable little boy came up and hammed around in front of everybody. Now raise your hand if you were moved by the message. That's what we're going to talk about today. And if I'm being perfectly honest, this is probably the hardest um, sermon that I've ever tried to prep for. And it's not because it's some super deep theological concept or anything like that. It's really not. I think when we get done, you're all going to be like, wow, that's it. But I think the point made there is key for us to remember today. I'm sure that some of us are trying to just kind of take it in and get ready for what's coming. But if you will, uh, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 as our um, primary verses today. And the funny thing is, I marked a whole lot of scripture today, but not this one. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration of Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was also with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, with the, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they all had heard and seen and had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. One more. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem 
to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, that every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in spirit into the temple and with the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepped in the presence of all, or prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. You may be seated. Father, again, I come to you holding the weight of your word. It says enough, it always says enough. I pray this morning, God, that you would help us to see the message that you have for us, that you would help us to see Jesus as joy and not the things that confuse us. So open our hearts, open our mind, and open our eyes today. All right. Advent and the season of joy is probably the last thing that should be on my mind right now in the busyness of life and uh, the chaos of the world around us. um, On paper, it looks like we're stretched pretty thin and that there's not much to give towards thinking about what it means to wait for a coming Christ. And if I'm being real honest, um, as I was trying to write even this first paragraph, which had already taken me about an hour and a half to focus my mind and get ready to write something that has been on my heart for at least a month. I was sitting there and got distracted. Uh, There was a message on my phone and um, it distracted me in ways that I had not imagined. When I picked it up and thought I would respond, it ended up on a, you know, 30 minute tromp through Instagram and all sorts of other things. And while I probably have a worse case of ADD than most of you, um, I think it happens to all of us. And so I sat down and I wrote a sentence about being distracted by the text message and thinking that we were going to talk about this. And when I took a deep breath, it's like, I think I need some chocolate. (laughs) And so I got up and searched the office and found some Hershey's Kisses and came back and Honestly, who knows? You know, I'm getting to the point of this after 30 minutes of Instagram scrolling and uh, a lot of dopamine and um, some Hershey's kisses. And so then I search Google for what is happiness? Because happiness means a lot of things to a lot of different people today. But I think uh, from Google, the best I could come up with was that happiness is good fortune, pleasure, contentment, and fulfillment. And I feel like as a culture, we embrace that pretty well. That's what we're searching for. That's what all the things that we do point us towards. Trying to find some level of satisfaction some way of blocking out feelings that aren't happy, those sorts of things. 
contentment and fulfillment are the things that we've searched for for centuries. But we're often seeking all of these things uh, that don't hold up under the bombardment of the weight of the world. So before we jump into looking at that, let's just ask ourselves, what's the difference between joy that we want to talk about today and happiness? So if happiness is choosing the positive feelings according to experienced external circumstances, I can't really attribute that definition to any one person. It was more like a conglomeration of a lot of different things that I read and scouring the internet and psychological journals and whatever. Um, but it seemed like something that a lot of people could agree on. And then joy, on the other hand, was described by John Piper as not really a choice. And we have a choice in joy, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Rusty's already mentioned it in his prayer this morning. But John Piper says that joy is a God-given, spontaneous experience of beauty, worth, and greatness of God. So I want us to pause just a few minutes this morning and ask, where are we? Are we settling for these moments of happiness where we should be experiencing joy? I might suggest that there would be many of us here this morning that are not even sure that a deep abiding joy is even a possibility in today's world. I know I've wrestled with that question a lot in the last few months. <clears throat> but I hope that by the time we get to the end of this, we'll see that there's room and reason for both happiness and joy in our life. But on paper, it doesn't really add up. If we're God's people, supposed to be made in God's image, supposed to love one another in a way that calls others to see who he is by the way we love one another, how do we do that in a world where the headlines recently have read like this? And just sit with them for a minute. There's, I'm going to read a few because I want you to get a feeling for the things that I think we gloss over a lot. We take it in, we, we, we take on the weight of it, but we don't really stop and sit with it anymore. So just in the last couple weeks, these were some of the headlines I saw. Homicide in the 2600 block of Carr Street. Red Bank students protest after sexual assault on campus goes three days without being addressed. Woman sets house on fire with dog inside. High school basketball coach suspended. Apple is adding more tech to help with stolen phones. Athens closes school for two days due to illness. Shooting investigation on the south side. Georgia teacher threatens to behead a Muslim student who was offended by an Israeli flag. $148 million awarded to two election workers who were intimidated and defamed. Woman pleads guilty to stealing $4 million. A man was arrested outside of Kitty University. He works there despite a record of child neglect. Over 17,000 Palestinians killed since October. Two spent 42 years wrongfully imprisoned. Evidence shows Hamas committed sexual violence. Mom of six who shot their teacher in the face heads to prison. COVID and flu are surging. Seven arrested in Europe with tires to ter terror plot. Homelessness in the U.S. surges to a record high among high rents. Ivy League consulting starts in middle school and costs up to $750,000. Documents with intelligence on Russian election interference is missing. The equally sad is the lack of some headlines, things that you know that are going on that you didn't see. Like the tens of thousands that have died in Russia and the Ukraine that are not in the news this week. The Christians that have been beaten for their faith in Indonesia. The poverty that continues to devastate and separate families in Kenya. The fact that UNICEF estimates 153 million orphans worldwide. 
the fact that the cost of inflation right now is hitting middle-class families. And you know these are not the only stories. Those are just the news headlines. And yet people have to contend with those things, and they also have to contend with Instagram, getting body shamed, or being influenced towards every type of product, lifestyle, and agenda. And if they hit up Twitter, form that's now known as X, they can easily be pulled into extremist arguments with no rational thoughts accepted. You either think this way or you become a target. If you drop in on Facebook and you get led on by scam sellers who want your information or to steal your money, or you get beat up by trolls who think they're entitled to own your every thought. TikTok will suck your away 30 mindless seconds at a time, and YouTube has an unlimited hours of mindless content to entertain or distract us as much as possible. The thing is, with this little box glued in our hand, it's engineered to give us chemical responses that keep us going back and going back. We have more and more to process, to think through, to deal with, to sort out than we've ever had. But they also do good things. They bring us knowledge, connectivity. But the truth is there's an overlooked part of that that says even that is one more relationship that we have to manage. One more person that we have to feel guilty that we didn't reach out to. One more piece of information that we have to know and process. We have a TV that's on demand and we have access to millions of books on these screens that are in our hands. And the expectation for most of us is that we're still supposed to be the best employee. We're supposed to be available 24 seven. And we're supposed to feed our kids, make sure it's nutritious, follow up on whether they really brush their teeth or not, make sure that di dinner, they get dinner and sleep and that they do their homework and that they make it to every practice and game and that you keep the house clean and that you decorate for holidays and that you have dinner each night and that you do the maintenance that's required and you learn to repair cars and you file your taxes and you renew your tags and you check in on your friends and you take care of your family and you go to Sunday gathering and you read your Bible and you check your fight club. You go to family meal and take something good. It's gonna blow everybody away. You plan special events, you buy groceries, you get Christmas presents. You go to the doctor, you clean out your car, you visit your friends. Sounds like a lot, like I'm just listing stuff, but if you want to know the truth, like that, that was my life this week. And so as I think about standing up here and preaching on joy, it seems really, really far removed. But then I started feeling guilty, thinking about myself and all that stuff. Although I do know that most of y'all are dealing with very similar schedules. I started thinking about people I work with, people in the church. And I just wonder, how are we happy? How do we find lasting joy when our marriages are falling apart, when you haven't been able to have that baby that you want so badly? When a loved one dies, when you have to caretake declining health family members, when your motor freezes up in your car, when your house burns down, when you feel unappreciated at work, when you have to pay for storm damage or you have a leak, or your kid is harassed at school by people identifying as cats. Go ahead, you can laugh, it's funny. Sort of. When your business is languishing, when you're sacrificing everything to start a new business, when a promotion has unintended consequences that you didn't think about, when your grades are not what you thought they would be, when all of your friends seem to know their next step and you're still trying to figure it out, 
when your money runs out before the end of the pay period, when your boyfriend breaks up with you? What do we need to know? Because the reality is the people in my life, those are all the things that I could, just a short list of things they're dealing with right now in the last weeks. So as we dive in here, we ask, like, what, what is it that God wants us to know? I think he wants me to know what time it is right now so that you guys aren't here all day. So, I said, I think today's going to be easy. The content's going to be easy, but the thoughts are going to be heavy. Um, The good news is, in thinking through all of that, God gave me some things, not smart things, but they all start with a P, so maybe you can remember them. Um, What are the things that we need to know when it comes to living and waiting with joy during an Advent season that is full of hard times and difficulty and every distraction imaginable. Well, the first thing that I think that we need to know is that joy was first of all God's plan. Now, I don't want to spoil the ending, but I think I already have. I think it's known when we start Advent season what we're going to be preaching about. But if you hadn't figured it out yet, Jesus equals joy. I told you I'm getting really deep with. The word shows us that Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. So if we look at Ephesians, and I didn't tell her to put these up on the screen, so y'all just have to forgive me for that, but. That's part of my difficulty writing this week. I'm going to read, read you Ephesians 1, 4 through 10. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Paul was nice enough to write, explaining exactly what God's plan was. That he would bring us together for his glory and make all things make sense. And that that was the plan for all time and that he did it through the person of Jesus Christ. So the craziness and the chaos of our world today is nothing new. Like that long list, a lot of those things were problems of today, but the reality, there was some equivalent problem to that for all societies and all time going back We're not too much so that God had to come up with plan B to fix what he didn't get in the first place. Life is hard and crazy and unpredictable. And despite the fact that God made the world and it was good, it was never intended that the world and all that it gives us would fulfill us on its own. But instead, they're reminders that point us to God. So when you see a bird with all of its crazy colors, then you get to see God and his creativity. And when you hold your newborn baby for the first time and you feel things you've never felt before, you get to experience God as a father and how he loves you. When you fail and you think things are falling apart, but somehow the world doesn't end and it just keeps going, You experience God's glory as your own glory. From the beginning, God planned on Jesus reconnecting us with the Father, and we can't miss that. Joy is God's plan. But we also see that joy, as part of his plan, was prophesied long ago. 
It's just to kind of back up what I'm saying. If you look at Isaiah <clears throat> 3510. <clears throat> said he ransomed and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I don't usually just go pull verses and try to put them in the context of what we're talking about. So I don't want to leave you hanging without that context today. So here's a super simplified, condensed Cliff Notes version. God makes people and gives them all that they need. And they want to know what he knows, and so they disobey. And their sin carries a punishment of death. And instead of taking them out, right in that moment, God transfers death onto an animal, kills them, makes them close. Now there are still consequences, and those people are sent out, and they no longer are with God daily. So then God calls a people and covenants with them and takes care of them and provides for them in mighty ways, things that you can't even imagine beforehand, but yet somehow those people continue to whine. They complain, they disobey. And during this time, God sent prophets and those prophets delivered his words to his people. Isaiah was one of those. And God used them to speak against the corruption of the political and religious leaders of the time. Told you our problems today are nothing new. But he also helped Isaiah see that the people, including him, were not good. And that God would do his eventual plan, that people's hearts would be hardened, and that uh, Israel would be overthrown and cut down and there would be a remnant or a stump and that those people would be exiled. And in the end of a very long book, his message changes from one of, hey, y'all get your stuff together, to a message of hope. He proclaims that the exile is over and that God will bring restoration. And that we're starting to see here is that God is reminding them what he promised is that a servant would come to restore their relationship to God. And that really gets fleshed out in some later chapters. But here in chapter 35 at the end of it, there's a pretty clear pointing to God's plan. Not just that he plans to restore them from exile and bring them back home, but the plan to restore them in their separation from God. And that that's going to bring joy and joy everlasting. So number three is that joy was provided. It's not something that we earn. We will talk a little bit more about that in a minute, about how we can work and choose joy. But joy is something that was provided to us. And this is something that most of us really instinctually know, especially if you've grown up in this Southern religious context. <clears throat> you've heard probably since birth this theology proclaimed in one way or another as we learn together to recite John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he ties that up by saying this is a gift. This is the source of life. He is your connection with God. So in this plan that he laid out before all time began, he gave me what I both need and desire the most. And that's a relationship with God. And there's nothing that we have to do, no quest to complete, no puzzle to solve. 
we were given Jesus as the way to eternal life. This was good news, even to heaven. And we're going to be in our main text for the day in Luke chapter 2. Part of our text here, uh, I would, I would probably even say is the key verses for us um, today. Here is eight, uh, chapter 2, 8 through 14. We see what we so easily gloss over at Christmas. It's just part of our tradition, as part of our stories, as part of our decorations. There's this so often heard, read, or sung in some way that even today when we stand and read this story, it's really easy just to not think about what it's really saying. Just to recall our Peanuts Christmas videos or, you know, family memories of reading the story on Christmas Eve. In this verse, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. That should be a red flag for most of us. doesn't happen a lot. And the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with fear. Also probably something we should be able to connect with. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Well, thanks for that. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I'm just, if somebody comes to me and really gets my attention and says, I've got great news, it's going to bring you great joy. I can't tell you how excited I would be in my heart to hear that. And it goes on to say, for unto, the, unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. Tells them where to find them. And then suddenly, there wasn't just one angel, but a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is, with whom he is pleased. I don't know when the last time y'all saw a band of angels show up was, but it's never happened to me. And even in reading through the scriptures, um, it doesn't happen a lot. There's only a few times that come to mind when we think about Jesus being tempted. They tell him, you know, hey, you could just call down a band of angels to help you so we know that they're there and real, but we don't see them in all their glory. And then I think we see them prophesied for the end times, singing around the throne and opening seals and doing the king's bidding as they sing glory, glory, glory to God the Father. So I think if we only see this in these few times, it ought to be a big deal. For it was a big deal in heaven. And as God enacts his eternal plan, he sent a host of angels to proclaim. That's our next P. Not to tell us. Not to insinuate. Not to take questions about. But to proclaim the very best news. And so if we follow the story on down, we get to our, our fifth P for the day. You're like, how many do you have? I'm not going to tell you. There's a few more. Um, before we get to the thing, you know, like you just you think about this story and you work your way through it in your mind. We all know it. We think about those shepherds in our Christmas pageants, how all the little boys dress up in robes and eat each other dressed like sheep. But we often forget <clears throat> that these guys, we get to see their reaction, 
something that was so important in heaven that it gets proclaimed by a band of angels. You get to see that proclamation, but you also get to see the way that they take that. And what happens when they hear this noise is that joy is produced in them. If we think about all the times and places where people have encountered God throughout Scripture, and really that probably should have been the bulk of what we talk about today, but in all of those we see that there's a change in people and that joy is somehow produced in them. When you think about Saul on the Damascus Road, when you think about I mean, there's a lot of stories that just come to mind and I don't want to really waste your time. But as the angels appeared to these shepherds out in the field, these outliers of society who are out there in the middle of the night, probably cold, doing their thing, when the angels appeared and their life changed in an instant, it wasn't because money rained down from heaven. It wasn't because they were immediately transported to a faraway mansion. They weren't bestowed more sheep. They didn't get warmer clothes. But it was a deeper gift that changed them in ways that money and power never could. And they came to see things um, of this revelation that were true. And they were able to tell their stories. And they were able to talk to each other And they were able to see how they were changed as joy was produced within them. And so when we think about the birth story, the next P is probably the most obvious, as it seems natural. If I give you a great gift or you succeed in a big accomplishment or something or you always want to tell somebody about it, it's hard to keep good news quiet. And in this story, it's what we see. Mary pondered her encounter with the good news of great joy. And she talked to Elizabeth. And her response to the waiting world was a song or poetry in which she describes that her spirit rejoices. When the shepherds had this encounter, They walked away talking about all that they had seen and heard, Scripture says. And as we read elsewhere, the wise men are moved to come back, check it out. They talk too much. As they come, they give too much information to Herod. But they are told to to go a different way. Last night, I went to a Pentatonix Christmas concert. As I sat there, it it was a really happy occasion. It was festive, there was bright lights, the music was great. I had spent time with my family. Um, We went to dinner, had an amazing dinner at a type of restaurant that we just don't have in Cleveland, one that had culture and good food. Sorry, sorry, soapbox. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. Um, It was good. I mean, it was a night out with my wife that we don't get very often. The best part was I didn't have to pay for it. We got to go watch the show from this suite with, like, walls to keep other people out and drinks and food and places to stretch out. The singing was great, the lights were great, and overall it was a, a very good night. Except traffic getting out of the parking lot. But the thing is, as I was sitting there, I was, I was actually recognizing in that moment my happiness. And a few songs went by, and they sang Mary Did You Know, and I'm sure everybody has thoughts about that song. But it's got a very clear point. I mean, it's it's a song that proclaims 
about a Savior where the lame will leap and the dumb will speak and the praises of the Lamb will go forward. And to my surprise, they followed that up by saying, amazing grace, my chains are gone. Now, I, in that moment, was turned to joy. Because in that moment, I recognized that despite all the chaos and the TikTok videos that were being made and the flashlights that were shining in my eyes and the really loud speakers and all those things, despite all of that, there were 15,000 people in that auditorium who were hearing the truth of Jesus go out from people who, let's just be honest, they don't even know him probably. And there's some sort of joy that says, my God can use any circumstance to get his message out for his praise to go out. And so we see that when people experience and encounter Jesus, his joy is pronounced to the world. And even sometimes when people don't mean to. And the thing is, out of all the things that I saw, witnessed, and experienced last night, the only thing I wanted to come here and tell you all about was that. Was that I got to stand there and listen to the gospel proclaimed in song in a place that none of us could have done that. Last one. If you look in James chapter 1, Verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Now, when I first thought about this sermon, I was pretty sure that I was going to talk primarily about persevering through really difficult circumstances. But the more I got into it, the more I felt like God was saying to me that the reason right now is not because you're in any one specifically hard circumstance, but it's because you're shotgunned out with a million problems that you're trying to carry that aren't your own. But I could not get away from the idea that one of the places when I first think of where do I see joy in the Bible, it's not, it's not even necessarily used by word, maybe once, but it's in the book of Job. And I think most of us know Job as a book of sorrow. Job lost his family, his wealth. He went from being king of the world to living in a rubble heap in one day. And I think maybe just because I can really relate to that right now, it just kept coming back. But I haven't had to deal with all the things that Job had to deal with. I've had plenty of problems. But all my kids are still here. And I just can't help but think, man, he really went through it. And not only did he go through it, but God allowed it. And so when I think about joy, I think about what it would have been like <clears throat> at the end of the book and it's not because Job got all his stuff restored it's because he's really been through it and he came out on the other side and he was able to say look I've been through the worst things imaginable the worst things you can think of and God has been with me 
That may be all. He was with me. But I'm still here. And God proved to be enough in those moments. They endured together. And they had a shared experience. Now. Now the shared experiences are what I've come to realize are not just about us and God, although they're primarily about us and God. But there's also a part of us fighting for joy and choosing joy in that we share times like this together as well. We don't have to go off to an island and sit in silence and pray and hope that God is with us. Because God has given us each other. God has given us the people in this room. And to be honest, if that was not the case and I did not believe that, I don't think I could stand here this morning. Because this, this message was hard for me. Because of distraction, it was hard for me because I'm fighting for joy right now. It was hard on a lot of levels. And the thought of getting up here and talking to you guys about something that I barely feel right now. would be impossible. Thing is, a lot of times we struggle because we tell ourselves that whatever is happening in our life, whatever is going wrong, is like we're being punished. We didn't live up to some expectation. If we had done this thing differently, if we had not spent so much money, if we had you know, not had so many kids, if we had taken a trip to Mexico instead of Scotland. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, everybody, everybody's got something that they're just like, why? But the reality is we're, we're right where God wants us to be. I mean, when you see in the story of Job, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was living a, a high life. And as you think about this story of Advent today, like, the, think, think back to Luke chapter 1. And there's, there's these stories in chapter 1 of Zechariah, going into the temple, doing his thing. I mean, he's a high priest. He's got his life together. He's succeeding. He's pretty powerful. He's already lived a good long life. He goes in to do his duties. An angel comes, tells him you're going to have a baby. He's like, what? Angel says, well, because of that, you can't talk now. Now it's like all of a sudden, life just kind of fell apart. I'm going to have my old wife's going to have a baby. Is it going to kill her or you going to harass us? Is this going to be the greatest blessing that we've ever had? Is this a good thing, a bad thing? You can imagine what kind of things are going through his mind. I'm sure they felt gratitude, gratefulness that God was doing what he said he would do and that they were blessed, but he, there's also this level of confusion and scaredness. It's a tension, one of many that we will talk about in the coming weeks. But it's happening. And then the next story is of Mary. She's visited by an angel, telling her she's going to be pregnant. She's like, hold on, I'm just a young girl. I'm just like starting to get my life together. Everything's on track. I'm engaged. And then it's like my life falls apart with one thing. The weight of being an unwed mother, possibly having to do it on your own, having to face the consequences with your mother, trying to get her to believe that an angel came to see me, told me this was going to happen. I swear we didn't do anything. 
after this encounter that she has with God's messenger, Gabriel, her response, though, is not what I would expect. Her response is not, my life is over. Everything sucks. I should probably, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that from here. But the reality is that may have been what she was thinking, some other slang that was popular then. What am I going to do? I need to hide myself. I need to go somewhere else. I need to move far away. I need to start my life over where nobody knows me. No. As we talked about a minute ago, she, she writes a song or a poem and just lets this truth that seems too deep for a child that age to really let go of what did Zechariah do he put his time in he lived the hard life of not being able to communicate and then he comes out and he's so happy and he does what they say and he ends up writing prophecy that makes bold prayers and proclamations over God's plan for his son and for his cousin Mary's baby that we just found out is coming. Mary's joy was unexpected, and at times, I would say our joy is going to be unexpected too. We're going to think we're in a place where everything should be falling apart and everything should feel way too heavy. And the truth is that God's people are going to come along beside us, God's Spirit is going to fill us. We're not going to get caught up in the trappings of the day. Now, I feel like we always need to throw this in. As we think about what it means in this situation to fight for joy. It's one of the reasons why our church is structured the way it is. It's not, we're not asking people to check off a box by coming to family meal or, you know, appease someone by coming to a fight club and checking in with people. The thing is, all of this joyful response comes after people's encounter with God. And what we want to do through our Sunday gathering, through our fight clubs, through our family meals, is provide different environments over and over where you're surrounded by God's people to help you find an encounter with God. It's not going to come from sitting at home with the blackout curtains pulled. Now, I said the finale was ruined, but here it is. I just said it again. Joy comes from encountering God. True joy is not just the feeling. It's good today because we lit a candle or sang a Christmas song. But it's because we received Jesus and our relationship with God is restored. And I, I, I would almost bet right now, and this is, there's no judgment, but I would almost bet that right now somebody is going over their last minute Christmas list in their head and there's somebody thinking about how much time we still got. And there are people thinking about dinner and how they got to go home and cook something. I have been in all type of environments lately where I feel like God was calling people together for a specific purpose. And as I look around the room, everybody's on their phone or staring off into space. And I'm, I'm just telling you, that's not a condemnation. It's, it's something I struggle with too. But 
This is a good news message that changes everything. Everything. To think that a broken relationship with the creator God of the universe was broken and is now restored. And that not only do we have something to look forward to in the future because of that, we have joy today. That when our bills aren't getting paid and our test grades aren't what they're supposed to be and all of those things, like, it doesn't matter. You can still have joy today. And so how do we fight for that joy? How do we encounter God? And I'm not saying that this is in this book, word for word somewhere, but the message that I feel like I needed to say was we need to be undistracted. We need to pay attention. Because we are being slow. I don't want to start sounding like some crazy nut job when I say things like we are being slowly seduced by culture and media and business and all of those things. But the reality is, is, it is it is true. There are so many things that we do every day that we do not think about. We just take them for granted. And then we are doing the same thing with God. And I think instead we're called to be like Mary. Mary was essentially God's bride. And Jesus, in his own teachings, said that the brides should be getting the oil together, keeping the lamps lit, looking for their groom to come. And we should be like Mary as she was pregnant in these days. Because if you've ever been pregnant or seen somebody pregnant, you know there's like this nesting that happens, this preparation, this getting things ready. I think even in that day, they might not have had plugs that had to go in the wall to keep babies from sticking forks in them, but there was things that had to be done to prepare your family for a baby. And the crazy thing is, and I, I can't take credit for this, I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff on my own, but I heard it from somebody else. It said, the reminder, I, I do have five kids, so I've seen it in action, but the reminder was that the closer you get to the baby coming, the more uncomfortable the mom is. And I think for most of us, we wanna live comfortably. We don't want to think about babies coming. We don't want to think about our groom coming in in the night. We want to do our routine and we want to go to bed and we want to do our things and enjoy life and be distracted. And in the meantime, we're losing out on the gift of all gifts the joy of all joys. We can easily miss the fact that Jesus has lived the perfect life and died on our behalf. And because of that, his righteousness is our righteousness. And that we were made right with God in Christ. So let us not get caught up in life's difficulties or the trappings of this holiday, how many presents we got to wrap, any of our endless entertainment options, although there's a lot of good Christmas movies on right now. But instead, let us experience God and be renewed in joy, a joy that's worth sharing. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you call us to do hard things. Sometimes that involves looking at yourself and looking at your people. 
and calling us to the one thing that matters. So Lord, as we come to the table today, help us to focus on you. The bread broken on our behalf. The blood that you poured out for our sins. Let us go there now and rejoice.